Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. I got the microphone back in front of my face this time just because I have a bunch of fans going and I don't want any of that fan noise to bleed through into your headphones, speakers, whatever else. So please let me know if you could hear it. I always like to make these things as easy on the ears as possible. But anyway, let's jump in and see what we got going on. First up, McDonald's just released a new Game Boy Color game to celebrate Grimace's 52nd birthday. And when I first heard about this, I kind of thought, well, that's a stupid cash grab, except it's free. So then I started paying a bit more attention to it. And it looks like they're trying to do a celebration for Grimace by releasing a 1500 calorie Big Mac meal that comes with a special purple milkshake, which of of course I had to get. I'm fat. I mean, I don't even like McDonald's that much, but it's basically vanilla with some berry flavor in it. But anyway, they also commissioned the company Cruel Toys to use GB Studio to make a Game Boy Color game to also kind of celebrate the birthday and have a side-scrolling adventure game type of thing going on. So I think the most important thing to realize is it's free. You could play it right through the web browser. You could download the ROM that people, I believe, extracted from that. So it's, it's kind of neat. If you like the other McDonald's games or if you're just curious what that might be like, go ahead and give it a try. You don't, you don't need anything. You can do it right from your browser if you'd like to or you know download the ROM and play it on whatever way to play ROMs that you have. And I actually have never played any of the McDonald's games. And when I looked it up to write this post, I didn't realize there was a few in there. So there's McDonaldland, MC Kids, and McDonald's Monogatari. There's no way I'm pronouncing that correctly. My apologies. But yeah, has anybody played any of those games? Are they any good? I've heard of McKids and McDonaldland, but I've never actually played them. And I haven't even played Grimace's birthday. I just thought it was kind of a fun thing to share with people because most importantly, it's free, which is always the best price. Next up is a mini review. If you don't care about this stuff, please just give me 30 seconds so you'll know what I'm talking about in case this ever comes up in conversation. Uh, and if you don't care, just skip to the next section. However, if you're a creator, you might be interested in this. But a while back, I saw a device called the Ultra Studio 4K Mini from Blackmagic Design that was marketed towards video editing professionals and was at a very high price point, but it had a bunch of inputs. And I just thought... What if, right? It was a thousand dollars. So, is it a grand because it's a quote unquote pro device designed for you know stores with budgets or uh, shops with budgets? 
or is it really that high quality? So luckily I had a friend that was able to let me borrow one because they could probably use it for any of those things. So I gave it a shot and it's not for streamers. I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I could confidently say it's not for streamers, but I absolutely wanted to just kind of go through it and let you know about it in case you need a Thunderbolt based device that can go up to 4k HDMI. If you don't care, please skip to the next section. But if you do, there's some interesting stuff about this. So first of all, why do I not think it's for streamers? First of all, for this same price, you can get the Avermedia Live Gamer Bolt and a Motu M4 and a RetroTINK 5X to have, for what streamers would use, the exact same functionality. It is not the same functionality as this box, but from the perspective of streamers, probably. Also, if you don't need a Thunderbolt device, you can get the same exact stuff, but the internal Live Gamer 4K, which is even cheaper. So, you know, it's if you're using a PC and you have an extra PCI slot, the cost is definitely one of them. But also... It's the simultaneous use of the inputs. Now, I am not an expert in Blackmagic devices, and people who are always love to remind me of that, so maybe I got this wrong, but it seems like you cannot use the HDMI input, audio, and video at the same time as the XLR input. If you could, then that would be, for somebody with a pretty big budget, a huge, <coughs> a huge reason to get this, because it's one device that could do all of these things, but... I wasn't able to stream, you know, HDMI in capture and then also plug my microphone into it at the same time. So that's why price and you can't use both of those inputs at the same time is why I don't think it would work for most streamers because there goes the convenience. You would need a second audio interface anyway. But if you're a creator, it's got SDI in and out. It's uh, It's got a USB port, which I believe is not uh, something that you could use to run the device. I think that's for interfacing other stuff or um, maybe even firmware updates or something. But basically, ignore the USB port. It's also got HDMI in and out. It's got component video input, composite video input, and analog audio in and out. So I originally saw all that and went, what if this is the holy grail, right? What if you could plug all of your original consoles into it? Uh, what if it's MD4EA certified, which unfortunately I could not get it to do loopback, and I tried on Mac and PC. I asked people who are experts in the Blackmagic devices, and they basically just laughed and said, you're trying to use it like Bob. You you can't use these devices like you. You have to use them like a Blackmagic engineer or something or somebody who works on these things. So maybe the audio input is super high quality, maybe not. And as you would imagine, it is compatible only with broadcast signals so tv signals not video games so if you're running an xbox or a playstation or anything that could put out you know basic tv signals it'll probably work with the analog inputs but nothing in 240p and none of the line doubler devices so ossc is not going to work into the hdmi <coughs> excuse me hdmi input unless you're using a device like the xbox or something um, and the RetroTINK 5X did work perfect in triple buffer mode, and in some consoles it worked in the lower buffer modes. So overall, I don't really think it's for most of us. However, if you are somebody that needs a small box, that one device that you could bring with you places that's Thunderbolt-based, that can do all of those things individually, like podcasters, content creators... I actually think this is a pretty cool device, and I used it quite a few times to shoot this and the uh, Q&A podcast, 
and it worked perfectly doing HDMI in from my camera and XLR input from my microphone. That worked absolutely perfect. I tested it with video capture. As long as you're okay with using the Blackmagic Codex, then everything worked excellent. So it's really up to you. From a content creator standpoint, the only two things that I have complaints about are the price, obviously, but also there's a knob on the right that when you access the menu, that's your control knob for the menu, but when the menu's off, it does nothing. So why isn't it a volume knob? And I know it probably sounds like I'm nitpicking, but if you think about an audio interface that you have hooked up to your rig... Having a volume knob is so handy. I have it right here on my Motu M4, and I have studio monitor speakers where they each have their own volume control. So you set those to the same, and then you never touch them again, and you use your audio interface to control the volume. Now, yes, you could just use Windows or Mac or maybe even Linux 2's software volume control, but I mean, it's a thousand bucks. They couldn't have just patched the software to make it control software volume on OS's. So, yeah, that's basically the only two things. So, you know, as I opened with, this is probably not for streamers. It's probably awesome for your average content creator if you have the money to spend on it. Uh, and if you're somebody who already uses Blackmagic devices and who already likes that whole ecosystem, then this is also awesome. But it's just, it's just too expensive for most of us. But I guarantee you there's probably one person listening that's like, yeah, you're right, but you know what? This would fit my setup because of... So, yeah, I wanted to do it anyway. That, and I'll be honest with you, I spent so much time testing this thing. Um, I really just wanted to to make it feel like I I didn't waste my time. So I, I kind of had to do a review of it. Otherwise, I would have been like, what was the point of doing that? Just for my own personal knowledge? No, I want to share it with people. So, uh, yeah, if you're one of the few people that this might work for, please use the affiliate link because I might get more than a few pennies for this one. <laughs> But yeah, it's probably not for you. So by, uh, you know, I linked to those other devices at the bottom, the Live Gamer 4K, Live Gamer Bolt, and Motu M4. Please check those out. They're probably better choices for most of you, but I still wanted to talk about this one. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. An English translation patch was just released for the Dreamcast visual novel Nakoroku, The Gift She Gave Me, A Samurai Showdown Adventure. I know I'm probably saying that wrong, my apologies, but... It's calling this an English translation patch is like calling the sun bright. There's a lot more to it. So the main dev on this was Derek Pescarello, who, by the way, thank you so much, Derek, for taking the time to write this up because I don't think I would have been able to do your work justice, so I appreciate it. But basically, this game was based on a character, like a spinoff of a character from Samurai Showdown in visual novel form. So if you're into that style of game, that's pretty cool. But in relation to this patch, that's... A lot of translating. I mean, you're basically translating a book, essentially. And I believe there was 12,000 lines that had to be gone through and translated over. And Derek started it in July of 2021 and luckily had a few people that was able to that were able to help with this as well. But basically, you get the entire game translated to English, playable on a Dreamcast. But that's just the beginning. 
All of the VMU icons and applications have also been translated, and there's a lot more info on the Dreamcast Talk Forum if you want to kind of dig into that. If you're somebody that uses the VMU and appreciates the extras, that's kind of huge. There's also a bunch of mini games and a, a whole bunch of things that um, that were tweaked for English as opposed to Japanese. But on top of that, this original game also came with software that you could run on Windows that's a clock, but with different styles and characters from the visual novel game. And they translated those too. <laughs> and on top of that, they also had a, a separate soundtrack that they released with it so if you wanted the original soundtrack you could download that so i mean what an immense amount of work right uh, that's just like i'm pretty sure this counts in uh in shitloads of work territory <laughs> like, like i couldn't think of a better time to swear to, to you know to really put accentuation on how much work went into this thing so you're absolutely going to want to go and check this out and even if you're not into visual novels, I strongly recommend just reading through Derek's post because you get a real sense of what goes into this stuff, how much work it is, and then really the love that they have for these games and able to put all of the time into them to kind of get it to this place. So while I haven't really been into visual novels as much, I usually just like to, to read on my e-reader, like the dork that I am. I, I think I'm going to try to find some time to go through this at least a little bit because it's just so much work went into it. It looks beautiful and it seems very neat. So thanks to Derek and the team for doing this. And, uh, you know, if you've never gone through a visual novel on a game console before and you have the ability to run Dreamcast Homebrew, I would kind of I would kind of give this a shot because I have a feeling this is kind of I mean, it's kind of like learning to swim by, you know, jumping into the deep end here, but it's very impressive. So definitely check this one out. Next up, the Shiro crew just posted a full review of Humble Bazooka's Bluetooth adapter for the Sega Saturn. They were able to get a pre-release version and test it out. And this is based on Darth Cloud's Blue Retro, which means you get all of those advantages as well. This isn't somebody trying to reinvent the wheel. They're taking an already awesome open source project and trying to tweak it even more for the Saturn. And overall, it works great. It has an injection molded shell and it's compatible with even the analog inputs. So if you pair it with a PS5 controller, you could use your analog sticks to play games like Nights into Dreams. So overall, this is, you know, this is pretty awesome if you're a fan of the Saturn and you want a wireless controller option because a couple of years ago I tried a wireless controller for the Saturn and it was so laggy, it was almost impossible to play. I ended up just using it for testing and stuff like that. And I don't want to name that name because I heard the name of that one because I did hear that uh, there was a firmware update that significantly improved the latency, but it just knowing that and having that bad experience, it's really nice to know that there is now a wireless platform out there that you can rely on to get reasonable amounts of latency. Once again, it all depends on the controller that you pair with it as well. PS5 controllers are very expensive, but great for this. So if you already have a PS5, that's kind of a no-brainer. But, you know, there's a ton of, of features that are all Blue Retro related, so I'm not going to go into that because they're going to be the same on basically all the Blue Retro devices. But it's going to be an injection-molded shell that looks similar to this one, same build quality, but a darker translucent smoke finish. Um, and it performed pretty much fine for Dave. There were a couple of dropouts that seems like there you'd be able to update that in a firmware update, which it does look like this firmware is a beta build and that both Humble Bazooka, Darth Cloud, and Gaming 
uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Gaming NJ Enkos uh, will work on to try to smooth this out before it's released. So you're not buying the beta version. You would be buying uh, a fully vetted version of this. But I mean, it is a prototype. It's just it's only fair that it's still not finished when they take a look at it. So, you know, the the original analog controller on the Saturn is a very unique experience. And I don't know if you're ever really going to truly replicate that. But uh, Dave said it feels about 85 to 90% there in terms of how tight and accurate the analog input is. Obviously, that's based on the controller you're using as well. But, you know, overall, this just looks like it's going to be a very, very solid solution for for anybody who wants a wireless controller for the Saturn. You know, you could do all of the button configs, button mapping, all of the compatibility. Now, this isn't going to be available until later in this month. Uh, it should be available from 8-Bit Mods and Stone Age Gamer. We will update the links, and I will post again, of course, once they're live and ready to purchase. But this was this is a really good heads up, and if you're somebody who is looking to purchase a Saturn Bluetooth adapter, maybe go through and take the time to, to really dig into Dave's post and make sure this is for you so that when it eventually is up for order, you could just press a button and have it delivered to you right away and you don't need to hesitate. You'll know it. Yes or no, this one is for you. So I know I'm very late to the game on this one, but this has been in my queue to write about and I just wanted to finally get the info out in case you're one of the few that hasn't heard about it yet. But Darren Doyle from Gray Fox Books had originally tried to release a book about the Mega Drive called the Mega Book Collection. And back in 2021, they got a cease and desist from Sega, which baffling to me but uh so i guess they were trying to figure out if the book could be released or not and they ended up just giving it away for free and that's i I completely understand because if i spent so much time on a project as well i think i'd rather have it see the light of day than just disappear anyway but it is kind of sad that all of that stuff didn't get worked out and they weren't able to get paid for it so if you would like to donate you could either purchase another one of their books and then download this one for free or just straight up donate but Either way, if you wanted to just check out what the book was like, I highly recommend just downloading it and checking it out, both despite Sega, but also just to see. And, you know, while some people might think this is a little rude, I am per- personally really happy about try before you buy scenarios. And this is one of those things where I flipped through it. I didn't have time to really give it a read yet. I, I definitely will. But if this is something that you go through and you really appreciated the experience, then, you know, maybe throw them a few bucks to donate and, and just kind of you know, show your support. And if you flip through it and you're like, well, that was neat. I wouldn't have bought it anyway, but uh, glad I get to see it. Then, you know, that's cool too. At least you got to experience this. Maybe now Gray Fox Books and Darren Doyle will be in your head. So if you ever want to purchase one in the future, now you're aware of it. But I just, I wanted to share it because it was a weird story. And I just, I don't understand this part of cease and desist intellectual property. I mean, if you're making something that takes away from somebody's company, then yeah, I mean, you should absolutely expect a cease and desist. That's totally fair. But a book that promotes all of these things, that's just going to drive more interest in it. I I can't understand how, how that would take away. Maybe there's behind the scenes things. I've never published a book, so maybe they should have gotten permission before the book was even started to do this. Maybe that was part of it, but this is just it didn't sit right with me because even though legally I get it morally and, and even just from a business sense, if this book did super well, wouldn't it just 
promote Sega, not take money away from them. I don't know. Let me know what you think in the comments. Maybe I, I'm just looking at it the wrong way, which happens. I'm always willing to entertain a new idea, but you know, it's not like Darren took a Sonic the Hedgehog game and then reskinned it and tried to sell versions of it on Steam. You know, that's taking away from Sega. This I felt like would have just given back towards it, but I don't know. I'd love to hear your opinions on it. The Recall Box team has just launched a crowdfunding campaign for a Gemma version of their RGB adapter. So a while back, I had showed off their SCART adapter that could work with any Raspberry Pi and is very easily integrated if you're using the Recall Box software. But now they came up with a Gemma version that starts at $65. And when I say starts, I mean that's all you need to use. That's it. You buy the $65 one, you plug in your Raspberry Pi and your own micro SD. And that's it. You could plug it directly into any JAMA-based arcade. Now, there are other options, both if you want more stuff, like a case or multiple, or if you just want to support the team and you want special editions. But I think the $65 price point is kind of massive here because you could get a Raspberry Pi 4 2 gigabytes for about 75 bucks, and you could get this and a micro SD card. And you could even, if your arcade machine is wired for CPS2, let's say, like mine was, you could even get a CPS2 to CPS3 kick adapter, which is the, or I believe CPS1 kick adapter. I wrote that wrong in the uh, in the post here. You could get all of that for less than just the price of a D10 Nano. Now, I love the Mr. Project, obviously. Uh, this is never going to be a software versus hardware emulation debate. But price is an important thing, and there's so many reasons that you might want this alongside or instead of a mister. What if you just already have all of the arcade boards that you really love, but you kind of want to mess around? Or what if you already have a Mr. JAMA-based solution that you love, but there's still a handful of games that are not yet available or might never be available depending on what platform the, the price point here is awesome. Or if you're just on a budget, what if you happen to have a Raspberry Pi laying around? I mean, Raspberry Pi 2 and 3s aren't the most powerful, but what if you're trying to play Pac-Man, right? Like 65 bucks plus use whatever Pi you already have laying around to play a couple of really old games, probably at good enough speed to not notice a difference. So there's just, there's so many reasons to seriously consider this one, but it really is rooted in price and performance. The thing works absolutely perfect if you have uh your jamma wired to i believe four or five buttons you don't need anything if you have six buttons i think you could do some customization you could use the cps1 kick harness or like me go cps2 to cps1 um and it's got mono audio output with a potentiometer so it works exactly like the audio from your average arcade board however it also has the option for stereo audio. So if you wanted to do it that way, I definitely plan on stereo modding my Astro City at some point. I just want to do it with longevity in mind. I want to do it right. I don't want to hack it together like I normally do. Uh, so, I mean, there's just so many reasons to pick this up. The only thing that I will add is if you want to buy a Raspberry Pi just to use with this, and it's single use, you're never going to use it for anything else, the team recommends the 2 gigabyte version of the Pi 4 because that's they, they don't really hit that RAM cap. However, if you're like me and you use your Raspberry Pis for a million different reasons, consider spending a little bit more on the larger RAM versions. I believe the four gigabytes only a few dollars more and the eight gigabyte one is definitely more money. I think it's 20, 25 bucks more, but 
if you're going to be using it for a million different reasons, then maybe consider having one that you could use and kind of squeeze that extra power out of. And unless you know the other projects you're working on don't need extra RAM, but I left all the links there, not just because they're affiliate links, but I wanted to just remind everybody there's choices. And when I, I originally wrote the post, I think I got that a little bit wrong. So my apologies, but yeah. Uh, and the only other advantage of this that you might want over some other uh, adapters is that this hardware is tied directly to the software. Now, you could use any <coughs> excuse me, any software that you would want with this. You just need to go in and mess with the config.ini file. However, if you want to use the recall box software, you don't really have to mess with anything. It's the most basic configuration because they tie their hardware in to work directly with the software. So there's very little tinkering compared to other solutions. So if you're somebody who prefers RGB Pi, but you'd like this adapter, you could probably make it work with just some tweaks. But if you're just getting into RGB or uh, Raspberry Pi, JAMA, or RGB gaming, then it's just nice to know that it's a one-piece one solution that just kind of works. I did a live stream testing a bunch of games, and uh, it seemed absolutely great. I tested some Naomi games and some uh, Thomas Wave games, and that was kind of fun to see on my arcade machine because uh, I've never owned those platforms. Obviously, I've had a Dreamcast, but that's different. So slightly different. But yeah, I just I kind of wanted to share this with everyone, and it's a, a good adapter. It's a solid piece of hardware, but the price is really what what struck me as making this one stand out. You know, when in the world of arcade, this is cheap, cheap. Like, you know, and as far as stuff in the world goes, I would call it not expensive. But when you t think about how much money your average arcade enthusiast spends on arcade stuff, this is nothing. This is like two wiring harnesses for a custom and weird thing. So I definitely wanted to get the, the word out. Um, the, you know, I have a prototype of it. It's working great. Uh, they should ship within reasonable time. So I would, I would just kind of check it out if you're interested. But this one definitely gets my thumbs up. I recently posted an interview with Fixel, the creator of the 3DO optical drive emulator, as well as the IDE emulator and a whole bunch of other products that are on their way to us. Uh, if you're interested in any of Fixel's stuff or product statuses, um, features on launch day, I would consider this a must listen. But this was also a very fun interview with a, a cool dev that I really enjoyed talking to. So from a nerd point of view, I would also recommend this one. But uh we talked about a lot of his products, and one of the things that we spent a bit of time on that I was so happy that Felix took the time to go through is exactly why and how there have been delays. Because while it's nice to know if you've already pre-ordered one of these ODEs that, you know, what, what's going on with it, what he went through could be exactly applied to pretty much every other honest delayed project, not bunch of people that don't know what they're doing kicking a can around but all of the good projects that are constantly delayed this is an excellent and in-depth explanation as to what happens and in really how it's so often not the fault of the company or person making these products sometimes it is you know credit credit where credit's due on both sides of this but so yeah i mean this is this is one that i i this is an interview I think anybody who listens to this would probably really enjoy for so many different reasons. Um, I definitely hope to follow up and do another one. We talked about a bunch of stuff after we stopped recording, and I almost wished that I just left record on 
because it wasn't fully video game related. There was some stuff with DVDs and just some some cool nerd conversations. So I'll obviously have to follow up with him in a couple of months after some of these ODEs are released and just continue the conversation and retalk about all the things that we discussed. So definitely give this one a listen. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, but if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and check out Lou's video because he has so much more details on all of this stuff, and you even get visual examples of a lot of the games, if not all the games that he talks about. Starting us out, uh, Mr. Add-ons has released or is starting to release a new line of products, and some of them are absolutely awesome. Some of them I I just don't get, and I've tried to talk to him about it, so I'd rather just keep all these positive and say... You know, use your head when buying this stuff and look at the big picture. But a lot of pork stuff is awesome. So I'm very happy to promote all of that stuff and happy to talk about it here. Next up, uh, Pierco finished coding the initialization for the Kihikakai MCU ROM. So the title screen starts showing itself, which is glitchy, but great progress. Speaking of progress, Hotego also fixed a bunch of bugs in the work-in-progress Neo Geo Pocket Core, so now it could fully go through the opening settings, and hopefully that means the CPU issues are resolved and a core release is soon. Still a lot of awesome progress, so thanks, Hotego. Also, Jimmy Stones is almost finished with the Juno First Core. There's still a bunch of other features to, to work on before it's publicly released, but it looks like it's coming along very nicely. Also, Wizzo has updated his Mr. Remote script, which I absolutely love. I use it on every single one of the Misters that I use here, development, my gaming one, whatever. And if you've already installed it, just run update all and make sure to reboot your Mr. after. Probably a hard power cycle is always best. If you don't have it installed yet, you could download it directly. And if you want to learn more about Wizzo scripts, please check out the podcast that we did. Because while it was really great to highlight his work and kind of introduce Wizzo to people, I also really appreciated that we went through and talked about every one of them because there are so many of those scripts that I guess what I said last time stands. If you own a mister and you listen to that interview, you will absolutely install at least one of those scripts by the time the interview is done or, or decide to install it when you're done listening to it. The only thing about the remote script that has uh, that's kind of not so fluid is not Wizzo's fault, by the way. Let me start with that. But the IP address for my misters change regularly. And I'm not really sure why, but I would love to have a name that I could type in. So to go into my web browser and type in, you know, retro castle mister colon, you know, 8085 or whatever the heck else, or, you know, uh, Jamix mister or whatever else. So that way, whatever the IP address is doesn't matter. You can go directly to it. I realize that might cause issues if you're using Linux, Mac, or Windows. It's probably more of a Windows thing. But if any devs out there know how to do that, or if this has to be encoded into the main mister, maybe just think about that one. And if this is one of these things where it's like, oh, yeah, take like an hour and a half, I could do it, please do it. Because I think as more people start to use stuff like this, or even just access mister over FTP, that's going to start to become a lot handier. But if it's one of those things where it's like, well, we'd have to rebuild the whole core code and it's going to take a week. No, forget it. Then my bad. I just wanted to bring it up. (laughs) Moving along. If you're into the Mr. Discord game challenges, the next one, uh, next game is New Adventure Island for TurboGrafx PC Engine. Also, Robert is making excellent progress on the N64 core. Still nowhere near in a place where you could just load it up and start playing games, but a lot of progress and really impressive considering that many people thought that getting this far wasn't even possible. Uh, 
And uh, lastly, the Taito System SJ Core has been officially released and supports multiple arcade games, including Elevator Action and a bunch of other vertically oriented arcade games. So if you're somebody like me who is lucky enough to have a vertically oriented setup, I got my uh, Sammy Video World here. Maybe you just have a CRT flipped on its side. That's awesome, too. But it's it's always really cool to see more vertically oriented games because it's it's different. It's neat. It's a different experience. And it's kind of one of the things that I like about having a dedicated arcade machine is it's not something that you can just sit down on your couch and flip over your 32 inch TV every time you want to play it like that. And of course you could use the software rotation and stuff, but I don't know. I just, I always really appreciate when there's more vertically oriented games out there and I really got to take the time to go back and update uh, that mister and go through Alex's vertically oriented scripts and the stuff that I did the video on a while back and kind of just check out all the newer games that were released. Maybe that's another thing for Wizzo. Uh, sort by order of release. Oh, sorry, man. Every time I talk to you, I'm feeding you more ideas and wasting more of your time. My apologies. But as always, thank you so much to Lou for doing all of this. There's no way I could keep up with all his stuff. And it is so convenient just having all of the Mr. Info right in one place to get kept in the loop every week. So thanks very much, Lou. Don't forget to subscribe to his channel. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions recently posted a video that showed off a development GameCube that had twice the RAM of an official GameCube. And this one was really interesting. It wasn't just a dev kit. It was one made by a different company that had a couple of different changes. And it was different than the last dev GameCube that Tito had showed. And I guess I really enjoy stuff like this because even though this is something that we probably wouldn't be able to apply to any of the gaming that we do, it's really awesome to see an old school dev environment, to see how a lot of these games were tested and interfaced. And I believe the RAM was just to help for loading games over USB or different methods as opposed to burning a disc every time you wanted to test a new compiled build or anything. But it was really neat to kind of watch the teardown and think about how this possibly could have been applied to anything else. And it also made me think, could there be GameCube RAM mods like with the Xbox? Uh, would it do anything? You know, would it add to the, the experience? Is it just a ridiculous thought of, you know, maybe do it just because you can? I don't know. But uh, the video definitely made me think about all that. And it was really enjoyable to watch. So as always, I you know, I've seen every one of Tito's videos, but if you're a fan of the GameCube and you want to see a cool piece of dev equipment, definitely give this one a watch. A cartridge version of the 240p test suite for the Neo Geo MVS is now available to purchase. The price is $250 plus shipping, which when it comes to the world of Neo Geo is dirt cheap. Anything with the word Neo Geo on it usually starts at a couple of hundred bucks. Obviously, $150 is a lot of money, but not compared to Neo Geo anything. So it's absolutely awesome for people that want a physical device to just test your Neo Geo. And if you're somebody that already has all of the Neo Geo games you want and you don't want to purchase an expensive, worth the price, but expensive ROM cart, this is definitely something that I would consider a must buy because you could test your arcade machines, you could test out you know, your original consoles, and it's just a really awesome looking thing that feels at home on your shelf next to maybe any of your AES games. This is MVS only. However, you can get an MVS to AES adapter. The team who created this has tested it with Furtex adapter and it works perfect with that one. Any of them should 
work though. And it comes in a really nice quality case that I showed before and your choice of six different colors of the cartridge on the inside. All of the colors and information are available right on the website. And on top of that, the cartridge uses a 5-volt flash NOR memory instead of traditional EEPROM. So that means that with a custom programmer that does not come with it, um, you should be able to update this in the future if you ever want to. Now, depending on how things go in the next few days, hopefully I would have already done a live stream demoing this. I, obviously, you have to record the podcast before Wednesday, and I think Tuesday is when I was supposed to do that live stream. So we'll figure out if um, if I got that correct. But um, I really want to go through and demo the cart, kind of show its functionality, and maybe hopefully even show updating it. So we'll see. It's kind of weird talking about something that hasn't happened yet, especially when it comes to me and live streams, because any of you that have seen my streams know that at least one catastrophic failure happens in each stream. So who knows? Maybe uh, I'm talking about this here, and then my my streaming setup will explode live when I try to test it. I don't know, but if you're a fan of the Neo Geo and you want to have a tool that's also a collector's item, seriously consider this one. I mean, this is absolutely awesome. And Stone Age Gamer have really made steps to make it feel a little more collector even though it is absolutely a functional tool. You know, I always use that you know, stupid term to think of it as a tool in your toolbox. Think of this as one of the most beautiful tools in your toolbox. But each cartridge will have a unique serial number that corresponds between the label and the ROM inside. Um, and you have, you know, all of the artwork by Pepe Solo that is on here. It's just gorgeous. I mean, this is this is awesome. I'm gushing over it. Both because the 240p test suite is the most played game in my collection ever, but also just because I know all the work that went into it. You know, I just, uh, I know how helpful it is. I just think it's such an awesome thing. Now, if you already have the ability to load ROMs and you don't need to purchase something else, you could always download this software for free. Uh, if you still want to support the team, you could support a monthly on Patreon. You could do a donation through Itch.io. I just, I think that, People who own Neo Geo stuff will still buy this, even if they have ROM carts, though, for the collectory side of things, to support the team, for all the reasons. But I'm very excited that I get to show it and hopefully get to, get to live stream it for you. It's so weird talking about something that hasn't happened yet, but I wanted to make sure to get this in this week so that you could all uh, order it if you'd like. There's going to be a limited number available, and you know, if the demand's high, I'm sure they'll make another run, but... I just I want to get the word out because I know a lot of MVS fans are definitely going to pick this up, even AES fans that have converters too. So, well, that's it for this week. I had to record these a lot earlier than I normally would have, so I could have time to do that live stream that I hope happened. So I may have missed something. There may be posts up on Retro RGB that happened or after I recorded this, but before the weekly got posted. So I don't know. Definitely keep an eye on the website. There's a few things that I really wanted to talk about that I either didn't have time to write up or were going to be released, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning type of thing. Nothing pre-ordered. I, I, I don't. I would make sure not to have you miss any pre-orders or anything like that. But I do know that uh, the final-ish release of Zelda for SNES was probably coming out. So look for a post on the website now. I'll try to get all that stuff queued up so that Wednesday, right after this is posted, you'll have all of those so you're still caught up. But I don't know. I I just I try to juggle everything. It's always um, a weird balance of making sure to get these recorded, but also make sure to have enough time to get everything else that I need done. And sometimes it conflicts, but... 
hopefully I made it work. Also, let me know if you heard a lot of fan noise or if shoving the mic directly into my face again kind of helped alleviate that. Uh, I don't think this would happen very often, but I, I don't know. I like to not have the mic in my face anymore after having the giant one right up in my grill for all those times I was recording in New York City. But I, it's just I care very much about trying not to make people's ears hurt when listening to this. Which is bad enough listening to me ramble for a half hour every week. So anyway, as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially people who support in any way possible, because it's really you who's keeping all of this going. So thank you very much, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.